You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. I think it's important every now and then to start off with some very fundamental basic truths. Jesus is real and he's alive, having died 2,000 years ago publicly on a Roman cross. He has risen again three days later, victorious over sin and death. He is alive. He is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. People are going there every day. And I want you to know that if we begin this sermon, that there is more happening than we could possibly imagine when God gathers with his people for corporate worship. When the Word of God comes open, when people turn the attention away from the world and on to the truth of God's preached Word. And God wants to speak to your heart today, and this is the great gift that He wants you to have. He wants you to know Him as not a God who just brings you to heaven someday, but a God who lives His presence in your life, bringing heaven into your life, in micro right now before it happens in macro someday. This morning as I was getting out of my car and I was uh, gathering up all my stuff, there was a young lady in a car that was kind of driving slow and I could hear a metal on metal grinding as she was moving down the street and she got out, she kind of looked at her donut tire she put on and, and I thought, she needs help. And I I thought, God, this is exactly why I've got to teach my kids how to change a spare tire. And so I said, hey, I'm no mechanic, but I, but I think I know what might be going on, which meant I was going to go get Ryan Moore, and he was going to help me figure it out. And we, we got the thing put on there right and prayed. Well, I asked her, could I pray for you, and would you be willing to come to the service? I mean, come on, just change your tire. Come on, grab a seat. And uh, so she was very wonderful, and she wanted to get her tire, tire fixed. But I, there is something of me as a father saying, if my kids were on the side of a road, I would hope some nice, friendly guy like Ryan would come and say, hey, I can help you. Would you let me help you? But if they weren't, I'd love for them to have the ability to do it themselves in case no help was coming. These are the things I think about as a father now that my kids are moving into that phase where they won't be in my house. They'll be on their own. I want so much for them to have their own faith in God. You've heard mine. You've heard my wife's. I've prayed over them a gazillion times. Prayed with them a gazillion times. I want them to have their own faith. I want them to know how to do it without me. I want them to know how to walk with Him, trust Him, love Him. This is the greatest gift any Christian will ever receive, this side of receiving salvation, is that you would learn to pray. And God is forever in a posture, leaning forward towards you, inviting you into Him fuller and deeper, that you would know Him, that you would love Him, that you would trust Him. It's not enough that you would just pray when the valleys of life come crushing down on you, or when you didn't study for a test, or you're in over your head because something costs more than you can afford. It's not nearly enough that you would pray emergency prayers. You were saved for something greater than that. You were saved for Him, to know Him, 
to dwell with him, to enjoy him all the days of your life until you come home to him. And that's why when we see in Matthew chapter 6, and again later in the Gospel of Luke, a companion text to this, the disciples only ask Jesus to teach them one thing, teach us to pray. That's it. They didn't say teach us how to perform miracles, raise the dead, walk on water, cast out demons, preach sermons. They didn't ask for any of that. They said, teach us to pray. Now, these are men who had been praying their entire lives. But when they saw Jesus pray, and they knew that something was radically different in the way that he would pray and the way they had been praying. And so they said, teach us to pray. Well, so he gives them this model prayer. And it's really important that you understand that this is a how-to of prayer. They didn't say teach us a prayer. They said teach us how to pray. And so when you look at what Jesus responded with here in Matthew 6, he taught them a model for prayer. And that every one of these phrases is like a multi-layered house, multi-leveled house, that as you come into this house, you immediately come into a room where you sit down and you examine this particular truth about who the Father is. And then you move on from there to the next level and begin to prayerfully consider those truths. And so today, we are in the entryway where Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, so come with me. To the entryway. Sit and linger at this statement, our Father. Now this is easy enough for us because culturally somehow it just fits, but I need you to know this was radical, this was shocking, and this was new as Jesus taught it. In the ancient world, in the, in, in the time of Jesus, all of the world would have seen God as unapproachable, as furious, angry, powerful, a hundred different things unapproachable. Even the twelve in Israel would have understood God as uh, Exodus chapter 18, 19, and 20 described him a burning fire. Uh, uh, Mount Sinai that you can't even put a foot on that mountain lest you would die. And in chapter 20, the nation of Israel says, Moses, you talk to him and tell us what he said. We cannot stand or uh, we cannot bear the presence of God. It's too much. We need a mediator between us and him. Well, as Christians, we also need and have a mediator. And so the idea that Jesus is saying, approach him as Abba, Father. It's the, it's the exact words a child would use in the home with their father, Abba. This was a shocking thing. This was something new. That you would come to him and call him Father. Not just Father, our Father. Okay, so this is also wonderful and unique that Jesus is inviting you into a we relationship with the Father. It's important, guys, that we slow down enough to hear this. We pray to a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them, when you pray, say, Our Father. Approach him as Father. Jesus in heaven beside the Father is praying for us. 
the spirit that indwells us is empowering us to pray. We are being invited into a relationship with a triune God. C.S. Lewis calls it the divine dance. That you're being invited, you're being pulled up into by the Spirit of God who indwells you to have community with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when you pray, pray and speak to Him as Father. And this is an incredible, mind-bending truth. That, that, that this God who you speak to is Father. What a gift. What a joy to know Him as Father. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Write this verse down. It's a wonderful verse. It says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. As the Spirit of God dwells you, comes to live in you, that mystery of how that works, inside of you is a desire to call out to your Heavenly Father. That's something the Spirit gives you when you become a Christian. It's not going to go away. You're going to feel that inner tug towards your Father to cry out to Him and say, I need you, Father. And it's a great gift. There are people, and I, it's kind of a tell, and I, let me say this as your friend and pastor. Sometimes I listen to people talk, and, and they talk about how they're studying the Revelations. I'm like, no, you're studying the book of Revelation. Uh, when they talk about, and they pray, and they say, dear sweet Jesus, I want to go, I, I mean, okay, you can pray to sweet Jesus, and that's it. Um, but when you want to pray a biblical prayer, pray to your Father. This is the model He gave us. Speak to your Father. Now, for some of you immediately, see, that's a problem, right? In fact, it inhibits you in prayer because there's a lot of hurt associated with the word father in your life. There is a void, an emptiness, a father who was disengaged, a father who was disappointed, a father who did not care. And so for you, when you hear Jesus saying, in prayer, go to him as father, you immediately have a roadblock emotionally because you got a lousy dad or you've been a lousy dad. Well, let me tell you something. God intends to redeem that word father in your life. He intends to reclaim that as his own. And he's a good father. He's an engaged, attentive wise, nurturing, compassionate, loving father. I like to think of myself as a pretty good girl dad. I've got daughters, right? And then I knew I just wasn't a very good boy dad. I knew that with my son Luke, I was kind of a lousy dad. And I was replicating the brokenness between my dad and myself, who probably was replicating his. And I remember one night when something had gone wrong. You know exactly what it was. It's just kind of embarrassing. But there was, a, there was an argument amongst my kids. And I came out and I, I was guns blazing, baby. I was nailing people. I was shouting down. I was telling them, this is what's going to happen. That's not going to happen. And I was being that jerk of a dad. And Luke came in my room and he said, just tears in his eyes. He said, you don't know what it's like to be on the other end of that. And he spelled it out, and I broke and hugged him and said, I am so sorry. 
I love you, and I'm a, I've been a terrible dad to you, and I'm sorry. And, and I want to tell you something, that at my dad's funeral, and I invited people to get up and speak, the last person in the world I thought was going to get up and speak was Luke. And what he said was, my dad and I have a good relationship now, but it didn't used to be good, and I'm sure it's because he didn't have a good relationship with his father, and God has fixed that between he and I. Now listen, God wants you to know him as Father. No matter how lousy your dad was or how lousy a dad you've been, he wants to reclaim, redeem what fatherhood is. He's a good, loving, kind Father. And if he is Father to me and to you, he is our Father because Jesus has invited us into that. To all who believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. There are enormous advantages to having God as our Father. Enormous advantages. When we go on vacation, and, and if we're driving, I'm in the driver's seat thinking about gas, thinking about air pressure in tires, thinking about the distance and range that we have to go, thinking about the, I'm thinking about the food and the lunch and how we're going to pay for it. I'm thinking of that, and they're not. They're in the backseat playing video games. Why? Because I'm that. I'll navigate. I'll get us there safely. And if we have a blowout, I'll fix it if I can. Because I'm that. You get to sit in the backseat and not worry about how to pay for lunch or do we have enough tire pressure in the tires. You don't need to worry about that. You're a kid. Sit back there and play. Fight with your siblings about how big a space you've got on the cushion. That's your deal. My deal is get us there. So many advantages to having a dad who's a good dad, who happens to be wise, who happens to be powerful, who happens to be wealthy, beyond our wildest imagination. He's got you. He's a good Father, it doesn't matter how you've understood him in the past. The truth is, he is Abba, Father. Let me tell you another advantage. Last year when we were first here, and one of my kids went to school and was playing basketball and didn't have the right shoes, and I don't know, maybe she never played basketball before, so the next day the coach shows up with shoes for her. I said, why? I mean, if you don't have the shoes, we'll go get you the right shoes. She's like, I don't know. Maybe she stopped good for it. I said, I'll tell you what. Get the shoes back, and let you and I go to the big sporting goods, and I'm going to buy you the most expensive shoes I can find. <laughs> because you're mine. I've got you. You're mine. And, and I, that's probably snobby and terrible of me, but it's like, you don't need that because you got me. Oh, friends, he's a good father. He knows what you need before you ask. He can afford you. He's watching over you. But there's something I want you to know about this word father. In the Hindu language, Hindi, I believe is what it's called, you would call your mother Mata, you would call your father Pesach. That's father and mother. That's mother and father. You would never call your dad Pesach. You would call him Pesach G. You always say the word G. It's like saying daddy, sir. 
So you know him as Father, but you don't call him Pithah. He is Pithah G. And when you see Jesus showing you this intimate, caring, loving Father, you need to understand that he is Father, sir. And he is Daddy, sir. He is Pithah G. Because why? Well, it says here, our Father in heaven. Now, I want you to see this as two phrases in tension with each other, both absolutely necessary. He is your Father. He is engaged, nurturing, caring, loving, wise, all of those wonderful things approachable. But He is also the King who rules from heaven above. He is Almighty God, the Maker of heaven and earth. And so when we see words like Psalm 115, verse 3, and I want you to see this, we quote it often enough, our God is in the heavens, He does all that He pleases. If you don't like that one, listen to this one, Psalm 135, verse 5 and 6. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth. In the seas and all the deeps. You get the picture? Our loving, kind, gracious, engaging Father is also the Almighty Lord of the universe. And it's important that we would see Him these ways. Daniel chapter 4, after Nebuchadnezzar comes back into sanity, he says these words, At the end of the days, I... Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored Him who lives forever. He's describing our Father. He lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So I want you to see that as we sit in this first room and we understand something wonderful and kind and gentle and generous about him as father, never mistake that alongside that truth, he is also the one who is sovereign over everything. And this is good. This is good. Because if I have a father who is that kind and good, but also who sits in heaven as God Almighty, I've got something wonderful as a father in heaven. Dwight D. Eisenhower had a son named John D. Eisenhower. And John is a 13, 14-year-old watched as his father went out onto a balcony and all of the United Forces, Allied Forces in Europe, as he came out onto that balcony, he was about to make a speech, all of them came to attention in silence as his dad walked out on the balcony. And he said, wow, he's my dad, but he's the commander of the Allied Forces of Europe. Now, multiply that over and over and over again and come down on this truth that if you understand Him as Father but also as Lord in Heaven, you have something worth meditating on. 
worth giving you insight because you get turned around and so do I by the struggles of life. If we heard the circumstances that some of you are walking through right now, we would feel deep, deep compassion for what you're struggling with. We would want to engage in help because we're family. It is a good thing when in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your struggle, you bring your struggle into the presence of Father who is in heaven. And you lay it in front of Him. And you say to Him, I am turned around, outmatched, overwhelmed. I can't resolve what is happening here. I need you. If you read 2 Kings chapter 18 through 20, you'll read the terrible, beautiful story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, from a young age, was a great king, honored God, did what was right in the sight of God, and God blessed him, and he flourished. And as he grew older, he came up against an Assyrian commander, Rabshakeh. Sounds like a bad guy, doesn't it? You know, he came up against this guy, and this Assyrian commander surrounded him. And what did he do? Well, of course, he called on the name of the Lord, didn't he? Not this time, he didn't. Not this time. He sent people out there and said, how much money do you want? What do you need to go away? And this guy liked the sound of that, so he said, gold and a lot of it. You just keep bringing it, and I'll let you know when it's enough. It says that Hezekiah went into the temple doors and cut them off because they were made of gold and added them to the hall of gold to make this guy just go away. And then in his shame and in his weariness, he came before God and he laid out his struggle in front of God. And the prophet Isaiah came to him and said, hey, God says, I've got you. He laid out the ugliness of what he was facing and his sin for having tried to buy this guy off. He laid it out in front of God, and God took care of the problem. 185,000 Assyrians were dead the next morning because an angel came in and slaughtered them all. Why didn't he do it the first time? Why does uh, Asaph say in Psalm 73, verse 16 and 17, but when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. You see this? If you don't know him as Father, if you don't understand that he is in heaven, you'll try to handle things yourself. You'll get exhausted, frightened, broke, weary. Because you are relying on your own resources. You're asking God to bless your plan. You're asking Him to fix what you want to see fixed. You're not understanding who He is. And because you don't understand Him as Father in heaven, you are radically trying to control your circumstances and relationships and finance. You're doing that because you don't believe that He is Father who understands how to get the car to the next gas station on the road trip. You're forever asking him, hey, are you sure we have that money to get enough gas to get to Florida? You should be thought this whole thing through. Because if you I can drive, I'm only 10, but I can drive. Oh, friend, play a game, would you? Just trust me. I'm your father, and I've done this before. 
See, if we understand him rightly, there's a deep exhale of your soul that goes, ah, okay, all right. You're in control. You're not just in control, you're kind. You're wise. You're compassionate. You're good. And when you have that, friends, you've got a gift that you need to have in your soul operating for you to mature in Christ. See, a lot of people will go through their life and they will get chronologically older, but they will not grow up. They will not mature. They will not be brought into the maturity of looking and sounding and thinking and wanting the things of Christ because they haven't learned to trust Him. And so they scramble. And I, I know that this is true because I have seasons in my own life where I'm just trying to make it happen. I'm just trying to scramble to make, make it through. And I feel like God's saying to me, Robert, come to me. Talk to me. Share with me. I'm so much bigger than that. Well, what do we do then with the phrase, as we look forward, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed's not a word we use in our normal language. I, now and then we would say, it's all Hallow's Eve at the end of October. Or you're standing on hallowed ground when you go to the 9-11 memorial. When you go to Auschwitz and you can walk right into the gas chambers, it's hallowed ground. There's no laughing in there. There's no carrying on or, or playing tag in there. You go to the tomb of the unknown soldier, it's hallowed ground. You go to the memorial in Hawaii of the Arizona, you don't need to laugh and goof off in there because you are on hallowed ground. Hallowed means holy is your name. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let the first request I have is that your name be hallowed to me. That I would honor, revere your name. That your name would be holy to me. That I would not treat your name as if it has no real value. I can goof off. I can play, I can, I can name your name, but never really actually believe it. You know, in my house when I was a kid, there were certain words that were the worst of the cuss words. Now, we all know one of them, right? The F-bomb, well, okay, there was another one, it was GD, and I'm like, oh, I just cringe every time I hear it. My dad was an artist with this, you know, he would, he would fling that word around, other cuss words, you know? But every time I'd say, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. No, it's not. Well, that's one way you can take his name in vain. To take the Lord's name in vain means to take it in emptiness. Emptiness. If I would say that I understand the name of God, but I don't live with any reverence, any respect for, any recognition of who he is as his name describes him, then I know the name, but I'm taking it in vain. If I were to ask you, tell me about your dad. Now just for a moment, go with me. If I said to you in a quiet, tell me about your dad. How long would it be to you get to his location? Pretty quick, huh? What if I said, no, 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 that's what he does. Tell me about him. I want to know him. Who is he? 
What words would come to your mind? Okay, so when we ask Jesus, tell us about your dad. We're not asking for biography here. I, I don't necessarily need to know what a historian might say. I need to know what you say because you're his son. I want to know who he is. Well, God has so kindly in his word, which Jesus, again, is the word of God. He is the incarnate word of God. So Jesus describes his father in the word, Old Testament, New Testament. And here's some of the names of God that he calls himself by. And I love some of these. And what I want you to do is I want you to find the name of God that most resonates with your soul at this season of your life. The first one I wrote down is this, El Roi. The God who sees from Genesis chapter 16. Now this is important because this is a Gentile woman named Hagar who is fleeing because she's in distress. She's running away into the wilderness all by herself. Feels completely left out, alone, isolated, and scared. And what happens? She encounters God there and she says, Truly you are a God who sees. You are El Roi. You don't need to know that God just sees you. He sees you. You're not hidden from his sight. He sees, he understands, he hears, he knows where you're at. That's who you are, Father. He's also Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. I've got things that I need right now. And I feel them at a guttural level. I feel them at a very mundane level. I need things in my life right now. Well, if he has provided in Genesis chapter 22 a lamb for sacrifice instead of the son of Abraham, guess what, guys? He's our provider, and he knows what you need. He is the provider who will allow you to walk through this life with the things that you need. He's our provider. What do you need right now? What do you, from where you sit, want you to say, what do you need? And Spurgeon would say this to the man who drones on and on in prayer. I say this to him. Call him Father and ask him for something. I mean, stop beating around the bush and all this flowery stuff. Would you call him Father and ask him for something? He's your provider. He knows better than you do what you need. But you have every right to lay your request before him. He is our provider, but he's also... Jehovah Rapha, he is our healer. He is our healer. This is from Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. The nation of Israel, having been under such uh, struggle in their captivity in Egypt, and God says, but I am your healer. I heal your soul. I heal your heart. I heal your physical problems going on in your body. God, you're our healer. What's broken in you right now? Whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, what is broken in you that you need to know? How, God, please, let your name be sanctified in me. Let it be hallowed in me. Because before I move into these other names, please hear this. There is a strong, unbreakable link between the name of God being hallowed in you and the name of God being heralded through you. If you don't believe this, you'll never communicate it. You'll never speak of it with any kind of authority, with any kind of reality. If you don't have his name hallowed, you will not herald his name. 
So his name must be hallowed to us. God, teach me that you really are my healer. Teach me that you are the God who sees me. I like this, that he's also Jehovah Ra'ah. He is our shepherd from Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is our what? He's my shepherd. Now this is not super flattering when you consider that makes you a sheep. Sheep are not very fast. They have big teeth or claws to fight with or bite with. They don't have any of that. Easily confused and overwhelmed, but they've got a shepherd. We have a shepherd. The shepherd who knows how to navigate the tricky spot that you're in. He knows how to bring you into a place of stillness. He knows how to give you the water that you need, the protection that you need. Oh God, may it be that your name is hallowed. If I say that you're my shepherd and I scramble around in self-reliance, always trying to scramble, always trying to white knuckle when I'm scared, always trying to, I am taking your name in vain. I'm making a mockery of this truth. It's not hallowed to me. God, hallow your name in me that it might be heralded through me. You are my shepherd. You're also my peace. Shalom. Dola shalom. From Judges chapter 6, Gideon had seen the face of God was terrified. He says, this is my peace that I give to you. You're not going to die. Oh God, your peace is bigger than circumstance. Your peace is internal. Hallowed be your name. Make it true in me. Make it where I believe this. Teach me your ways, Father. Show me what it means that you are my peace. Because the kind of peace that comes to this world is just so slippery. It goes away so quickly. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. He is also Jehovah Sitkinu. Now this is one you don't want to say three times fast, but it's God our righteousness. You are our righteousness. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not righteous enough. I am blameworthy. I have moments where I act in a way I should not. I had a bad moment yesterday. I had a moment that I'm like, oh gosh, do I share this? I was, I was heading down the street, didn't realize everything was blocked off. My daughter was late to get to her work thing, so I'm trying to do a U-turn. Plenty of room, so I'm doing one of the U-turns. This car comes rushing up. I mean, they're on the horn, they're flipping the bird. I, mean, I, I, I did not respond well at all. I mean, I did not respond well. I didn't flip her off back, but I mean, I was like shouting, you're a nut. You're a nut. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, what is wrong with me? I hope my church didn't see that. If you did, I apologize. I apologize to my daughter. I apologize to that lady in spirit. <laughs> but here's the truth. If Satan wants to attack us for being sinners, he's got rich targets. You failed and I failed. We're not who we hoped we'd be. Martin Luther said that when Satan attacks him for not being righteous, for not being good enough, he says, what of it? I have a Savior who died for my sins. He is my righteousness. I don't have eternal righteousness. If what you're trying to say is I'm not a good guy, I agree with you. And if you knew me better, you'd attack me more effectively. I... Have a righteousness that is not my own. God is my righteousness. He is my uh, 
He is the one who trades places with me. He's my substitute. He is my righteousness. All of my sin went on to Him. He is my righteousness. And Luther also said that if he didn't feel like that worked, he said, I start to mock Satan and say, Oh, St. Lucifer, you must be so righteous yourself that you could mock such a poor sinner as me. St. Lucifer, how good it is of you to point out my flaws. Luther was just kind of like that, man. He just made a fight. Satan hates being made fun of. Well, he'd make fun of as St. Lucifer. I think that's kind of funny. Anyway, he's also the Lord Sabaoth, the commander of heaven's armies. It actually says the commander of heaven, heaven's hordes. <laughs> Good. It's a military fighting word is what it is. God is a valiant warrior for us on our behalf. He commands heaven's armies in heaven and on earth. And when God decides to defend his child, he speaks an angel come into being in ways we don't understand. They engage in fights that we aren't strong enough to fight. Come on, sometimes you need that more than you might realize, more than I might realize. He is a valiant warrior who fights on my behalf. He afflicts those who have afflicted me. Visible and invisible. Doesn't matter. That's who he is. Oh Lord, hallowed be your name in me. I don't believe this stuff 90% of the time. Lord, make it to where I understand and believe that your name is exactly who you are. Hallowed be your name in me that it might be hallowed through me to those who I'm close to, those that I love, those who need this. And here's what's wonderful. In this very room, the hallowed name of God, as you find it, as God speaks it into your soul, in this room, we are meeting and gathering and discussing what is true, proclaiming what is true, and then into classrooms, into office spaces, onto athletic fields. The hallowed name of God in our hearts and on our lips goes into Georgetown. May it be that we actually believe this. Hallowed be your name, Father. Help me. Give me this truth. You are Father. You sit in heaven. May I know the truth about who you really are and live in that so that you may be glorified. As you come up to receive the Lord's Supper, grab one. Grab one of these. Very simple, very small, but it's a note card or a bookmark that actually has the names of God. And on the back, it's got more. It's got references. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask your Father in Heaven to hallow His name to you. I want you to ask Him, this particularly is something I have not believed about you, Father. I don't really believe you're my provider. I don't believe you're my shepherd. I, I want to believe it. But I don't. I don't believe that you'll actually heal this thing in me. I want to believe that God, let this be true in me. Hallowed be your name. Pray with me.